Why are you running? Well, I'm running to give the people of the 10th Congressional District a voice in what government does. You know, for the last eight years, uh, people around our community believe that they have no say. They feel that they're powerless to the approach that government is taking. And they feel very clearly that government is happening to them and not for them. They feel that they don't have a relationship. They feel that their issues aren't even being heard and that the whole system is rigged. And so as I talk to people across this entire district, and it's vast and it's diverse, um, that's the common theme. And I look at where I am in my political career, and I said, look, the amount of energy and time and, and value that I can bring to this seat is going to be clearly focused on what the um, legislative branch of the U.S. government is supposed to be, and that is the voice of the people. So what sets you apart from the other four uh, Republicans who are running for the nomination? Well, what makes you best? Yeah, I think they're all good candidates, and you know, whatever comes out of this uh, primary, I think we're going to be well represented in Washington for years to come. I think the important uh, differentiator would be you know, when you put together 20 years of personal business experience that I have, uh, meld it with a couple of years of local government, uh, six years in the House and six years in the Michigan Senate, we've clearly demonstrated an ability to get things done through the legislative process. And, you know, in this business, relationships dictate results. And we've been successful in reforming many parts of Michigan's economy, uh, from tax structure to long-term debt uh, to the regulatory climate. And I think that I'm best positioned to be able to take that kind of experience to Washington and be, be effective from the very beginning. There's, um, you know, not a huge learning curve for me uh, in terms of being able to understand how the process works. Now, you talked about uh, relationships and you also talked about uh, concerns that people have that government just isn't working for them, especially at the federal level. How would you describe uh, your relationship with folks on the other side of the aisle? I mean, there's so much contention anymore. We just seem so bitterly divided uh, in, in terms of partisanship. Can you bridge that? You absolutely can. And while, and I think you have to break it into two pieces, Pat. I think you have to look at on the legislative floor of the Michigan Senate or floor of the U.S. Um, House of Representatives, there's a different kind of vibe there. Um, it is a very competitive area. But when we talk about relationships, you have to have the relationships with your voters and with your constituents at home. Uh, they are part of that conversation. And so while we oftentimes focus on the number of votes and how we voted on specific issues, let's not forget what a representative is truly there for. It's truly to connect your constituents with the services that state or federal government have for them. So in other words, we've literally dealt with thousands of adoption cases and helped families deal with unemployment claims and workers' compensation through our Senate office. And those are the kind of relationships that you carry to Washington. And those are the relationships that determine who's going to get the vote. And if they looked at, you know, 12 years of my service, they would say, you know, when I called, he was there. He picked up the phone on Sunday. But you're right. I mean, the, the partisanship is a real factor. I think in the end, we're at a point in this country where will partisanship go away in this next election? Absolutely not. Will there be a new recognition that if we don't figure this out and figure it out quick, we're all going to be doomed? I think that that's the prevailing thought on America's mind. And that's why you see the polarization from the top to bottom of the tickets. And so, you know, as the presidential candidates are splitting this country, um, you know, people are looking at who's got the right answer, who's got the vision. And, and I would just remind, you know, the listeners and, and, and folks listening at home that these elections, particularly about Congress, are about the future. And the decisions that you're going to make on August 2nd in supporting a candidate, 
can really have a lasting impact for the next couple generations of people coming up. And do you want somebody in there who not only understands the district from one end to the other, but understands the challenges of families? How much more difficult is it, though, if you are in Washington uh, to come back to the district and maintain those relationships uh, with people from farther away uh, than you are right now in Lansing? Well, um, over the last 12 years, we have built a great constituent outreach program where we're already talking to our folks. Our staff has uh, been very well trained and and are very well informed on how to connect people with the parts of state government, we take that with us to Washington. But in my career, I never stayed in Lansing. I had a 250-mile-a-day commute daily when I was in session. Um, I came home. I came home because, number one, that's where the people that I work for are. Um, There is no life for me, you know, running around from dinner to dinner and reception with the lobbyists in Lansing, and it won't be that way in D.C. You know, when we're done voting... I'm on an airplane, I'm back, and I'm at the chamber meeting, I'm at the Rotary meeting, I'm with the you know, county government people. And I, I've developed that style and that work ethic, and it's not going to change in Washington. All we will do is we will get better at representing more people. So if you win uh, in August and then if you win in November and you are Congressman Padlow, uh, what is the first thing you want to tackle? Well, we have a budget uh, crisis facing this country, and it's just been swept under the rug, and the people of this country know it. When I get sworn in, if I'm fortunate enough and blessed, um, we'll be looking at a $20 trillion problem. And I handled those kind of problems in the Michigan legislature. Uh, we dealt with deficits. We fixed them. We fixed them through resolve and through tough decisions. And I would just tell the voters uh, and the listeners at home that, All of the easy decisions in Washington have already been made. Um, I am not uh, hiding behind the fact that when I get there, everything is going to be fine and I'm going to be able to fix it. What I am committing to is that I will do things that are going to make many people um, uncomfortable. Such as? Well, we're going to cut budgets and we're going to reduce taxes and we're going to start changing the health care in this country back to putting the patients in charge of it. And there will be people in this district and in this country that aren't going to be happy with that because... The federal government over years has built these very convenient constituencies through federal funding uh, that build support. I would just suggest that that model is coming to an end, and it's coming to an end quickly. Uh, And the new people that are going to be sent to Washington, whether it's from southeast Michigan or northwest Montana, they're sent there with a mandate. The people of this country are tired of business as usual. So when we start taking a look at some of the entitlement programs that can't exist anymore, When we realize that the third largest government program is going to be interest on the debt, we realize quickly that we are on the wrong end of the teeter-totter. When you say entitlement programs, what are you referring to specifically? Well, um, let's talk about the Social Security Disability Trust Fund, which is scheduled to go bankrupt either in 2017 or 2018. There has been a massive push from the federal government to emphasize handouts over jobs. And so... More people have qualified for permanent disability that may not necessarily be permanently disabled. Um, In Michigan, we took care of welfare reform. We've dropped our welfare caseloads by 70%. We wiped out over 20,000 bridge cards that we're automatically giving to our college students across the state at our state universities. Uh, These are the kind of reforms and the kind of tough decisions that have to be made. We need to replace them with a growing economy, Um, a a government that understands spending and a government that understands tax policy and trade. And if we pull out those handouts and replace them with an opportunity for jobs, 
uh, that's what's going to get this country back on track. But you're not proposing necessarily to end Social Security absolutely or, not. or Medicare. What, absolutely not. What we have to understand is that the Medicare program for our senior citizens is also uh, looking at very difficult spending trends ahead. Um, Obamacare has wiped out billions of dollars from our Medicare um, trust fund in order to fund this Obamacare program that is, you know, is causing massive, you know, fee increases. I talk to people every day who have deductibles that are in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range before they can access their health care coverage. That's crushing families to the tune of three, four hundred dollars a month in additional premiums. And when you look at where we are in this country, um, you know, I think I saw something that about eighty percent of the people in our country do not have six hundred dollars in savings. They're not prepared for the inevitable health care crisis that's going to, you know, completely crush their family budget. And so when we look at all these programs, they've gotten out of hand. I think more importantly, we have to understand that if we're not willing to deal with those spending decisions straight up, I mean, look, I can go through some of the most ridiculous spending items that this government has ever have ever funded. Um, you know, $100 or $100 million harbor and marina in a city that doesn't have any roads in it. Uh, those resources need to be put back to our national security, to our local safety, and to the security of this country. Well, let's talk about national security for a moment. Um, what would your national security priority be? It has to start with immigration and securing our borders. Uh, this president has walked away from our borders, uh, has not enforced the coming and going of illegal aliens. Um, I think some of the policies that this president has gone down in terms of resettling Syrian refugees into not only our country, into the state that haven't been thoroughly vetted. In the Michigan Senate, I co-sponsored a resolution uh, calling for an end to the Syrian refugees uh, coming into the state of Michigan until we can find out their background. Well, now it, uh, I want to interrupt because yes. the the uh, recent incidents, uh, the one in Orlando and earlier San Bernardino, these weren't carried out by uh, immigrants. They were carried out by United States citizens who were born in this country. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think when you take a look at Orlando, what you're seeing is um, you're seeing an ideology that's being projected across the world, and you know the the fact that these terrorist groups are recruiting around the world through social media, through, I mean, they have a thousand ways to get to them. But the first thing we have to remember is some of this is homegrown. We don't ever discount that fact. But if we're really going to make our community safe, when you call 911, if there's an active shooter in a nightclub or at a uh, rally somewhere, when you call 911, the FBI does not answer that call. Our local law enforcement first providers are the ones that are going to take that call. The resources need to be shifted back to better training, better intelligence, information sharing to our locals. Look, in St. Clair County, we have the second busiest border crossing in North America, in Port Huron. We have two bridges, we have ferries, we have pipelines, we have rail tunnels. Our border security and our, and our border patrol agents that are working in St. Clair County will not even allow our local law enforcement police chiefs to have access to their agents when it comes time for translation, whether it's into Spanish or Arabic. We have to break down those barriers and make sure that our federal government is working closely with our local law enforcement to be able to deal with that threat head on. Uh, it's a resource issue, it's a training issue, but more importantly, it's a cooperation issue. We have 80-some different federal agencies in Michigan that are authorized to carry guns and, and really work on some form of enforcement. 
That's too many. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, we've mentioned the uh, the, the recent attacks. Uh, and, of course, we've seen uh, more recently uh, since then uh, violence uh, involving police officers against police officers. A lot of the conversation that's going on right now as we record this is uh, about gun violence. I know that you're a supporter of the Second Amendment, and there has been talk about gun control. Uh, if that's not the answer... Uh, and if doing nothing is not an option, then where is the middle ground? Is there a middle ground? Can Congress do something, and can you as a congressman do something that would have a meaningful impact in reducing uh, violence and still protect constitutional freedoms? Absolutely, and it has to start at the top. I mean, uh, we have a president that is, um, I, I think he's committed to creating division in this country, uh, he's clearly created division among families. He's created division on sexual preferences. He's created division at every opportunity he can. And when the president has an opportunity to unite the country and he doesn't, that's a huge problem. That's the leadership at the top. Um, why and how um, our police officers, the people who really control civil obedience in every one of our communities, somehow have become the bad guy in this process? Look, I will acknowledge that there are law enforcement people who don't act properly, who are rogue, who do not believe and belong to be in law enforcement. The majority of our law enforcement people get up every day with the desire to keep our communities safe. Um, I believe that this president is going after law enforcement. I think that he has taken an opportunity to pull this country together, um, and he's missed it. The progressive left over the last 20 years has been successful in ripping our families apart and creating division. And the purpose for that division is to be able to move government into that void. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, the ideology that somehow um, our way of life and our freedoms and liberties need to be under attack, um, you know, it's because we've broken that bond in the families. We've taken families and split families apart on, on any number of key issues. The issue is not about... Um, guns and control and more of that. It's about having a uniting force and recognizing what we have in common. I don't think there's anybody in this country, um, you know, that I talk to that isn't about having our communities united. From Congress's standpoint, we have to look at the symptoms and understand what's causing them. And the division is, is great in this country, and we're seeing it play out. I think we're absent a leader who can unite the country around single issue of what freedom and liberty mean in our communities. Is Donald Trump that leader? I hope he proves to be that leader, and I hope that he puts together um, not only an administration and a team around him that does that, I hope that when he's president, he makes the proper Supreme Court nominations and appointments that go back to the Constitution. We've moved away from our Constitution. This president has been successful in executive orders. He's been successful in going around the legislative branch of government, which is the U.S. Congress. And he's gone around the Supreme Court with many things. If we, Trump does that, if he's president, if he goes around Congress and issues executive orders, and this is a man who doesn't really, he doesn't take orders from anybody. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's made it clear, you know, he's his own man, his own boss. Would you, would you oppose that? I would absolutely oppose that. And anybody who's going to try to get to our founding documents that have established three branches of government, the judicial, the executive, and legislative. Look, we have gone in this state requiring that our founding documents get um, 
taught and covered in every single grade in the state of Michigan in our curriculum. Why? Because of this. Because of this idea that an executive becomes all-powerful. Our founding fathers and our, our founders left England because of that. We need to get back to the constitutional power, and if we do, we will understand the Constitution was brilliantly established to limit government. And that's what people want. They want the thing to work the way it's supposed to work, and they want to be represented. How has Trump's candidacy affected the way you run your campaign, if at all? I mean, there's been talk that, you know, it might have a, an effect down the ballot. Um, does, does that concern you at all? Well, it does concern me for this fact. Um, will people put enough time and enough interest in picking their next leader? Because we are at a – I mean, this is clearly a tipping point – and the next president needs to be vetted. I think over the next couple months, when, when Trump comes out of this convention, he'll have a presidential and a vice presidential nominee. We will have established that. You will start to then begin the formation of his administration. And I hope that what he looks at is that not only is it the president, the election for president, but there are also down ticket issues. I will be second. On August 2nd, I will be the first um, office on the ballot. Nevertheless, our country every four years peacefully and organized way pick our new leaders. And let's make sure that that happens. And look, we've had a, 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 a two-year conversation on who's going to lead this country. And as it's been contentious at times. It's been controversial. I think one thing that Donald Trump has done is I believe he's engaged new people to the process. At the same time, he might have pushed some people out of it that aren't going to participate. In the end, it's your duty as a citizen and as a, uh, as a voter to participate. And quite frankly, elections have always proven that you get the leader that you deserve. And so let's make sure we put our time in. When we talked earlier about freedom and, and uniting people, he has called, for example, a ban on Muslim immigration, a temporary ban on Muslim immigration. And I wanted to know if, 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 you, th if you agree with that and, and are... Are people who don't agree with the Republican vision, uh, are, do, they, do they have the right to share in those freedoms? Well, look, this country was founded on the principles of freedom. We will take um, all comers who come through the door properly. Come through the front door. Um, you know, I don't think that we need to break them down by, um, by religious preference. This country was founded on freedom of religion. More importantly... Let's look at who's coming in. Let's figure out their background. Let's figure out if they're a danger to our society. Um, let's figure out, are they willing to assimilate to the values in this country? And we hope that they are. We hope that. And as I talk, th this district um, is a very diverse district from an ethnic standpoint. The Chaldean community, the Macedonian community, uh, the Albanians and the Armenians. And we have a deep, rich concentration of those folks in our community right now. They are here for one reason, and that is because the United States offered the last greatest hope on planet Earth for them to participate, for them to have a shot at freedom. Well, that's why a lot of people are coming in the other way, too. Well, I don't believe that that's the way. I think that the people are coming in the other way because they see it as an opportunity. They see weak leadership at the federal level. They see borders that aren't being controlled. They see an opportunity to move drugs through that border and destroy our families. I mean, the heroin epidemic in our community, in this country, is completely out of control. The Mexican cartels have been successful in flooding our streets with low-cost, dangerous heroin. Uh, that is a function of weak border security. 
And so as our families are dealing with uh, addiction issues, um, you can trace this all back to um, not enforcing the immigration policies that this country was founded on. My grandfather came from Slovakia through Ellis Island, and Lady Liberty was looking down with a smile on her face when he came across. Uh, that's not the case today. What haven't we talked about that you would like voters to know? I think we haven't really talked about the fact that we've talked about my qualifications and why I believe. Um, you know, I'm clearly asking for your support on August 2nd. Um, I would invite your listeners to visit my website at philpavlo.com. And when you go into the voting booth, do your homework, figure out who the candidates are. But think about, as you're, as you're filling in that arrow, what's possible? That's where this country needs to be thinking. Um, we can look back at where we are today, where we were 200 years ago, but we ought to really be trained on what's possible because the next generations that I hope are participating are the youth in this country. When I say youth, I'm talking 18 to 32 years old. The policies that have happened to that group of people in terms of the massive amount of student debt we've required them to pay for, um, the poor performing economy that they can't participate in, um, I would just say to their younger listeners that you need to be thinking about someone who has your interest at heart. And while we deal with the day-to-day -day problems, we also have to pivot this country into be able to get back to the innovation, the hard work ethic, uh, the performance ethic that has led the world, whether it be in medicine, technology, automotive engineering, whatever our products. We are the best. We will be the best. We'll continue to be the best. But it will require your leadership and your decisions on who you select for that leadership role uh, to get the right people. I hope I've been able to demonstrate over my years of public service that I can earn your support. I've done it before. Um, and, and I'm excited for the challenge. And while campaigns are tough and long and, um, you know, ups and downs and everything, I'm happy to go through it because it's just the beginning of what is going to be required from your congressman in Washington, D.C., because um, the issues don't get any easier once you get there.